0: Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I am the founder of 1,000 Hours Outside, and I'm so pleased to bring to you a dear friend of mine, Jan Smith, welcome.
1: Thanks, hello, hello to everybody.
0: I'm so glad you're here. Jan Smith and I have been friends for several years. We've connected through the homeschool community. Jan works with Homeschool Louisiana, And I am so pumped to be coming to the Homeschool Louisiana conference on April 22nd. It is a full one-day conference, fantastic conference, very reasonably priced. It's just $50 to come if you get early bird registration. And it comes with jambalaya. Jambalaya so (laughs) a great lunch and they have a kids program and a teen program they have a ladies tea they'll have a vendor hall and i will be speaking there four separate times actually so excited to be a part it's a little bit of a smaller venue so we can spend time together and then this is a unique thing, Jan. What a cool idea is that there's a field trip option that we're all going to do together. So this is the first time that I've done a big field trip with a homeschool organization. The micro adventure. It is a micro adventure on a swamp tour on Friday, April 21st. And so you can find all the information on that Homeschool Louisiana. We're driving in from Michigan so people can drive in, drive in and spend some time with us. It's going to be at the Westside Baptist Church right outside of Hammond, Louisiana in Ponchatoula. So Jan, tell us. So you do a lot with Homeschool Louisiana. You are a homeschool mom with grown children. Tell us about a little bit about the conference and what you do with Homeschool Louisiana?
1: We do um, member relations um, as vice president and we're president for many years. But basically, we benefited so much from going to the Louisiana conference year after year while we were homeschooling before podcast and all of those things were available. And it was really critical in renewing our vision. And most of what we learned about parenting was at a homeschool conference. And the church, to me, has done a poor job of truly teaching parenting to families and the value and the importance of being that influence in your children's lives. So we learned so much about parenting. It's just a great concept to learn about. And we wanted to give back. We wanted that opportunity to stay. One of the most important things that Homeschool Louisiana does is to really stay on top of any legislation that would possibly infringe on the homeschool freedom that we have now, and it's surprising how often that kind of thing will come up. People generally are trying to do something that they think is a positive thing that really has negative impact, and so that's probably the most important thing that we do, but we stay in touch with local groups and try to encourage those leaders when they have questions, they call us, but this conference is a way of, as an outreach and a service of investing in the homeschool families in Louisiana. We're excited to have you, Jenny. We're so excited to come. Even though we've been friends, I could never really say that I technically heard you speak and you were incredible. I am so excited about Louisiana families getting to have you. I love your podcast, but I really agree with the heart of the message and I'm thrilled for our families to get to know Mm -hmm. you
0: we're thrilled to come we have jam we have a map at our house one of those scratch off maps where you scratch off every state that you've been to and so louisiana is one that we've not come to as a family so everyone is excited to come and spend some time with you and to spend some time with your families and you and i were just together last weekend just a couple days ago in indiana that was my first conference of the year possibly your first conference of the year. I'm not sure. But we both spoke at this conference together and it sold out. It's exciting. So there was an opportunity at the beginning to get tickets at the door, but then that opportunity was not there because it sold out. And I know people were scrambling and trying to get on a wait list and trying to buy other people's tickets. It was
1: a whole thing. And so. That's what we're hoping for in Louisiana. Yeah. We want families to go ahead and register.
0: Yes, you want to. You definitely want to register. And I know we live in a day and time when we make a lot of last minute plans, but conferences, they have to make their plans. And some of it has to be a little ahead of time, it has to do with catering and space and all sorts of things. And so you definitely don't want to miss your opportunity at these conferences because I like what you said, Jam. The one in Indiana, they even called it, they called it something like homeschool and parenting conference. And they really are, you know, some of it is going to be homeschool specific but a lot of it is just this overarching, helping with our parenting. And what we're going to be talking about today is for any parent, it's about fostering an adventurous spirit. Oh, I love that fostering an adventurous spirit. This is one of the sessions that you and your husband, Roger, taught in Indiana. And we definitely have a generation of kids who don't leave their house very often. They don't leave their bedrooms. I mean, the statistics are very clear. And so we can't be adventurous when we are not out in the world doing things. And I actually just right before you was talking to this man named Paul Angoni. He came out with this book called Listen to Your Day. It's about paying attention. Anyway, one of the things he talks about is how We have to embrace these awkward, sort of embarrassing situations that push us to our limits because that's Mm -hmm. when we learn what we can do. And that's sort of where all the rewards come. And so we want to be able to foster an adventurous spirit with our kids. That's something that you
1: did and something that you teach about. One of the things I think is so important about fostering an adventurous spirit is that it starts when they're little very small, like jump to me off the counter or off the edge of the swimming pool, you know, And they are fearful, but in those first five years when you're doing so many things that are just, you feel like they're so mundane and have no impact, but that's not true. That so much of the foundation for an adventurous spirit begins when they're very small, that they try things that are difficult for little ones, like jumping in the pool or You know, just learning to walk, all of those things, it's an adventure for them. And it has long-term ramifications from the early years. I think that an adventurous spirit is something when you're willing to try something hard and to achieve a feeling of, I did it. And children are always saying, look at me, mom, look at me. They're doing something they're proud of. And it seems so silly. And you're at the park visiting with a friend and you look over and you go, I see you. I'm watching. Mama's watching. But those things have huge ramifications later in life. You and I both know that like playing the piano or anything that we do, it's about managing our fear and focusing on others as opposed to ourself. And when I'm playing the piano for an offertory or any sort of public performance at a, a reception or a dinner of some sort, and I'm playing, if I think about me and possibly messing up then I start messing up. But when I focus on just the joy of what I'm doing, there's a freedom that comes with that. And you're walking on a trail and you get scared. You think you're going to slip and fall. Then you're suddenly focused on every rock, every danger, and you don't look up at the trees and you don't enjoy the trail that you're going on. And I think teaching children from a young age to overcome those fears later, then they do bigger and bigger things because they're able to manage their fears. And when we foster young and adventurous spirit, it is amazing what our children will try, you know, with just a little encouragement, but it all starts in those foundational years. Wow. Yeah. And you had some really
0: cool, just simple, but great ideas in here, jumping into your arms. I and mean, we, we did that, you know, jump into the pool, I'll catch you. Mm. And they're scared, you know, they, they come to the edge and then they do it, crossing a ditch as they get older, going outside without you, all of these different things. And then as they get older, they can do things that are more difficult for them, the zip lines and the monkey bars and the taller slides and things like that. So I really love that. And I think that life is about learning how to step into the spots that make you feel uncomfortable and anxious and awkward. And you learn that there's good on the other side. And so our kids need to know that. They need to have those experiences. I
1: think helping a child to evaluate the risk, having a calculated risk, you know, and helping them take steps that push them but that are not too big for them. And that when you do it, you start off doing it with them, whatever that is. If it's a climbing wall at the park, I'm not talking about a real climbing wall, but they learn to put their foot here, put their foot there, climbing a tree. You teach them how to get up and how to get down. You do it with them and then you release them and they can do it on their own. And you don't have to be right there with them. But I think that's an important part of helping A child fostering an an adventurous spirit is doing it with them. It's less scary Mm -hmm. if they know, even if they're doing it and you're not doing it for them, if you're there to catch them when they fall, when they're learning to do something new, it's a lot less scary. They're more willing to try. And then later, they don't need you to be right there with them. Mm
0: -hmm. And when kids try things at young ages, I think those become foundational pieces of themselves that they feel at later ages, that they could try it again, they could do something that's similar, but maybe a little bit harder, and it just lays such a foundation for them. I think along the way, and, and you and I have had just such great talks about some of the memories, the memories at your place growing up in Louisiana with your four kids. And one of the things, um, I know your husband, Roger, wrote a book called parenting with influence shifting your parenting style as you and your child grow parenting with influence. It's a great book. And one of the things that he says in there, he has this quote, it says the truth is that most parents really do love their children, but the fact remains that most children do not feel loved. And so I thought, well, one of the things about adventuring and adventuring with your kids is it gives you time
1: to give them some focused attention. It's important. And for you, cheerleading for them as they go along the way and they feel that you're there to share their victories. And even with with simple things like bike riding that we started off just riding. Well, first, I want to say, do what's available to you where you are. Because when we lived in Kentucky during residency and the children were real small, they had a tricycle. But we didn't, we had some sidewalks, but we didn't have as good of an area to ride bikes as we did when we moved to Winsboro. So we did parks and other things because that was more available to us. Hmm. And when we moved to the next place after he finished residency, and they were like six and under, we had great place to ride bikes. So we did a lot of bike riding. And the little neighborhood that we lived in was very secure and not a lot of traffic. And I would have them all have their little helmets and their different size bicycles. And we rode all over that neighborhood. Later when we moved to the country, it was on a four-lane highway. And so biking was not as available. We would do trails at different parks that we would go to. So they got higher and higher in their adventure level, but we changed the kinds of things we did based on where we were. You know, in Louisiana, we don't have snow, but we have great water sports. So we first learned to swim and then they would ride the tube behind the boat. We have lakes all around us. So water sports are a lot of fun in our area. I remember them riding tubes with me because now I have grandchildren and the daughter-in-laws are like, they're way too small. And I have pictures of all of mine piled on the tube with me. And it's just a a block, you know, it's, it's called tubing behind the boat, but they started young. And as they got older, then they would jump across the wake and then they would barrel roll and jump over each other. And, you know, it just got wild, but they had done it since they were small and the adventure level just ramps up based on what's going on. Mm -hmm. But. We look back and those are such sweet memories. they are times that would bind us together as a family. And so we didn't do as much hiking as some families do because it's not as available. Everything's flat. So I think it's really important to do what's available to you in your area. Hmm. I think that's such a good point because it comes up a
0: lot when people say, I live in the country, so there's no other kids around to play with. Or I live in the city and I'm on a fourth floor apartment, and so it's harder to get out the door, and where do I go? But to your point is, there's something, and whatever that is, is unique to you, and it's unique to your family. And nature has this way, I think, of meeting us where we're at developmentally, Mm -hmm. wherever we are outside. Whether there's snow or no snow, and all of these things help aid in development. And when you're talking about this growth, the tubing is a great example that it starts out small and then they start. They they you didn't have to tell them to barrel roll. You don't have. It to would tell scare me them. to death.
1: <laughs> you know, I would want to say, "Don't do that." But then I would say, "Okay, what is the worst thing that's going to happen? They could break an arm, or they could flip off." You know and they did and they thought that was grand fun and they thought everybody did tubing like that and we you know we we did some tubing with some cousins at a family reunion and when they started jumping the wake and jumping over the other kids it freaked them out you know and when they barrel rolled over them it was like whoa this is too much <laughs> but it was our normal because mm-hmm. we were used to letting them do things that were beyond the expected you know stay behind the boat like I've when I would be tubing with them, I would go zigzag down the water because it would fling them from side to side instead of just going straight down the path. So mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know we always were going to the next level with things yeah. so like with the biking, ultimately our kids, um, our two oldest ones they they took they had an adventure that they went to Europe. And they biked across southern France. And they spent three months biking through the southern part of France during the wine harvest. And they had incredible adventures that I would have never dreamed. But we've got to be careful with what comes out of our mouth. Because when we were when they were young, especially my one, my third child, who was kind of a wanderer and he had adventure lust, is what I would say. And he was always doing something that was pushing my comfort level. And I said, well, son, one day you're going to bike across France. And I guess that kind of lodged in the memory bank of those older kids because they did it. And, you know, was I uncomfortable with it? Yes. But they had been biking since they were little, really small And I remember when they were 11 and 12, before we moved to the country, we had horses. And those horses were about two miles from the house because we lived slap in the middle of our little small town. And it was a small town. But where the horses were, you had to cross a four lane to get to them, but it wasn't a real busy four lane. And... There was a time where the gentleman that fed the horses in the morning they were it was a it was a square pasture right in town, and this gentleman had to be out of town and he couldn't feed and the kids said, "We'll ride our bikes, Mom. We can go feed without you because I had two smaller ones at the house and uh, it was just and I thought, okay, that's a risk I'm willing to take for y'all." And they remember the high adventure of getting on their bikes and speeding that two miles down to feed the horses and come back. And they felt so proud of themselves. But those older two children, Caleb and Emily, they had an adventure together of going to feed the horses in the morning for that one week. And every other time we would ride by there in the suburban that in the afternoon. But when they were biking across France together, I thought, yeah, yeah. I can trust them to go do this.
0: When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot slash outside for 15% off your first order. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Wow. It's an interesting thing because what's happening is in small doses our children are learning what they're capable of and in small doses we are learning to let go that's it and what a full circle moment it's, you you can't i think it would be so much harder to let go for the france trip so you have this situation where you let them go on the small one and that gets them ready for the larger one, but it also gets you ready. And I think this is part of the puzzle, which is one of the other things that Roger writes about in his book is that parenting is the process of eliminating your child's need for you. This is the process.
1: And so in order to do that, we have to let them do things. Yeah. That's right. And and again, just, just like at the park with the first time they do something like if they're going to go across the monkey bars and you're not sure they're strong enough. And so you stand right there beside them, kind of holding on as they go across. And then later, you don't think anything about it. You know they can do it. And that's how it was when we were showing horses. We started off with me doing every step of the way along with them in the heat and in the cold and everything. But by the time they were 13 and 14 and we had loaded that trailer many times, we had hooked up the trailer, we had loaded the horses, I knew and trusted them. Then we got ready to go to a horse show that all I did was pack my suitcase and I got into a car that was already air-conditioned waiting for me that had All of the equipment loaded, the horses loaded, and if they forgot something, that was on them. But now, there were many times that I had already loaded that trailer with them that I knew they knew how to hook up the trailer. They knew how to drive the car to back up to it. And that's how it was because it was their deal, not mine. Now, I, I mean, we had trained them, and so we expected them to take ownership of what they were doing. Yeah, it's an interesting
0: thing to think. I'm a mom, we still have kids at home, but there are moms that are 20 years younger than me that are starting off in their mothering journey. 20 years, it's a big difference, two decades. And these are moms that are in their early 20s that they grew up with technology in a way that's different than I did in a way that's different than you did. And so they may not have had as many opportunities to be adventurous in their childhoods. And that's what's gonna start to happen is that we have moms who maybe feel a little more fearful because they haven't had those experiences in their childhood for that growth. Do you have advice for these young moms who you know, we sort of have to a little bit try and lead by example, but maybe they're feeling fearful too, because maybe they lack that Mm -hmm. foundation. What would you
1: say to Mm -hmm. a young mom in that situation? That your children can do a lot more than you think they can do. And you don't want to do for them what they can do for themselves. Now, there are a lot of areas that we accept that, like wiping their bottoms. At first we wipe their bottoms, but when they're older. We're not going to be wiping their bottoms forever they take charge of that you know putting on their clothes at first we help them put on their clothes but it's a big achievement when I do it all by myself and we we celebrate that with them so in the same way I see seven-year-olds that are not riding their bikes yet and I I'm like take those training wheels off they can ride a Bike, even though it's fearful, just because someone's fearful to do something does not mean that they shouldn't do it. When we decided to homeschool up, you know, it was a fearful thought that I took on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are a lot of things that we do in life taking a new job, moving into buying a house as adults. But when you allow children that opportunity to do things along the way, you know, we just need to step out and take risk and the whole concept of a calculated risk that, you know, if I walk across the swinging bridge, am I going to fall? Probably not. Or they wouldn't let people walk across it. You know, riding up an elevator that is a clear glass elevator. A lot of things feel fearful, but they're really not. Now, if you're afraid of heights like me, then maybe riding a zipline is not your favorite thing. I tried it one time. Not my thing. But the kids had a great time. And just understanding maybe they can do something that's scary for me, but not for them. Mm. Jumping off a diving board, that may not be something that you want to do, but that you can encourage them to do. The risk mm. is manageable. You yeah. know, Could they fall off the diving board? Yes but what's going to happen? They're going to fall in the water. It's a reasonable risk. And helping to manage our own fears is the only way that we're going to help our children manage theirs. Right. And facing the
0: things that, it, it's, it is very individual, like you said. Some things are scary for some people, but not for others. And what a good example that we can set before our kids to do these things. Well, even we were talking about at this conference, you know, to step up in front of a group of people and you don't want to waste their time. And you want to make sure that you don't reflect poorly on the organization that has brought you in all of these different things, but you do these things anyways, as a model for your child. And then one of the things that you talk about as a benefit, and I actually think this is a huge benefit. And Stephen Ranella, who wrote this book called Outdoor Kids in an Inside World, he talks about this, but the importance of having stories to tell that Mm -hmm. some of our kids have, it would be possible to grow up in this day and age and to not really have any stories to tell. There's that quote that says, kids don't remember their best day of television. There's nothing to talk about there, right? right. But, But we have, we can have stories to tell if we go out on adventures. So then our kids have all sorts of stories to tell because We've been here, we've done that. We've swam with sharks. We've tubed through irrigation tunnels. We have done all of these things. And so we have these points where we can talk
1: with other people and your grandchildren are going to want to hear the stories about their daddy when he was a little boy. Our grandchildren love hearing Rodney's stories, and we have lots of them. And the boys about Uncle, you know, tell us about your own childhood and the kids' childhood. And so it's going to be fun. You're going to be glad you have these stories when you have grandchildren because they want to hear them.
0: Oh, isn't that the truth? And my kids do love that too. They love the stories from their grandparents. They love hearing about what um, my mother-in-law, she climbed up she, I, she wasn't supposed to but she climbed up some tower and she got real high she got real She got real in trouble for it but yeah they love those it is <laughs> I true do. I didn't even think about that I was thinking about more do. about when you have a colleague when you have a friend that you have something to talk about but within your own family that you could talk about uncle you know uncle Jackson used to do this or <laughs> oh, that's really cool and will you talk about well what stories do we like to hear you know do we like to read stories about people who sat and scrolled through Instagram? Mm -mm.
1: No, we want to hear adventure stories and things that are out of the ordinary. Somebody who did something worth remembering and talking about. And in order to achieve that, we've got to change the language that we use with our children. And I think it's real important because as moms, we tend to say, be careful. And what we want to say is to be brave. Little boys want to be strong and they want to have big muscles. And so we need to use language that appeals to them to be brave and not, not just be careful. You can do it. I believe in you, you know, and to cheerlead them. It's just so important yeah. and to praise them and even something like if you've got girls, I remember you talk about growing zinnias. And when I, when mine were little and in Kentucky, and they were under five, and I remember having dug up with a shovel now. I didn't have anything but a shovel. And I dug up all around the edge of our fence, and I planted zinia seeds. And I would give Emily scissors, and she was like four. And she loved arranging flowers. And so... And I let her do it. She put leaves and all kinds of stuff in there. And I just let her do it. And I would say how beautiful it was. And she does just gorgeous arrangements now. And every yard that I got, I got better and prettier flowers. Although I always still plant zinnias. And it's been fun to watch her arrangements change. Just like her sewing. We started off doing little sewing projects. And... I had sewn when I was growing up, and we think of adventures being outdoors, but it can also be things inside, like flower arrangements. This past weekend, I hosted a tea. For uh, well, the weekend before Indiana, I hosted a tea, and some young girls that are children down the street. They came to help me set up for it. They it was really hosting it for them and their friends. And I let I had bought all these flowers from Sam's Club, which is like a Costco type thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Girls, would y'all like to help me make the flowers?" And their eyes got big, and I said, I'll help teach you. And the pride that they had during that tea when I said, So Serena made this flower arrangement, and the little girls were like, Oh, wow. And I know that next time they're going to be willing to try again yes. because they did something that was scary for them. And that's an adventure. So doing yes. things that are hard, and my daughter now, I'm with her in a shop in Round Top, Texas, where she's a leather designer, and she recently did something that was very much like the first major sewing project that we did together when she was eight, and she thought, I can't do this, but cutting into python leather was very scary. Even though she had made it out of deerskin leather before, to cut into that very high-end python leather was scary. And she just had a style show and um, that somebody else modeled this python leather jumpsuit. And she's so proud. But we didn't start off cutting into python. You know, we cut into blue jean. And started small, and then that that ability grew. And so I'm just having a proud mama moment right now because of all the years of cutting into things that were a little scarier and a little more high stakes and doing style shows that were a little bit... Um, You know, like right now, her career as a fashion designer is on the line. But back in the day when she was in high school and she was the fashion coordinator for a 4-H fashion show, it was a lot lower stakes. Mm -hmm. And so letting your children do things that are scary, whether it's inside or outside, taking pictures of things and showing others what they've done, it builds. Their adventure level builds. The stakes rise and start small, start small when they're below five of doing things that build the foundation for them to be able to do bigger and bigger things.
0: Right. And part of the adventure is letting go and letting them try the different things. And I know there's people that talk about, there's different types of fun, type one fun, type two fun, these different high, people are high throw fun, low throw fun. But it's a good point that Like what you said at the beginning, use what you have where you are and know that there are a lot of different ways to adventure and that anytime we risk, anytime we serve, anytime we give, these are moments of adventure. And Greta Eskridge, she has this book called Adventuring Together. And she talks in there even about how read alouds can be a family adventure. She says, Oh, yes. Her mom maybe had some different health problems and couldn't go out and do the zip lining and couldn't do the tubing or the hiking, couldn't do those things physically, but that they read together as a family. And so they came into these adventures of others.
1: And I love that. We read so many adventure stories from the Ralph Moody. Man of the Family and Little Bridges to when they were little. um, There are so many adventure stories, you know, the the Alistair Humphreys that you have about the girl that canoed across, or the um, there are many, many adventure stories and missionary stories that serve in remote parts of the world. We read hours upon hours. In fact, Roger read every night after supper. He would always have a book going that we read aloud. And that's something that even on their teenage adventures, when we would go hiking, we would read a book. We would have a book that we would read aloud as a family. And even when we went to Cancun or Costa Rica, we would always take a read aloud because it was such an important part of our family culture, shared adventure through stories. And so, yes, you can have high adventures that create a memory bank. Of stories that you've shared and experienced in your own living room mm-hmm. so absolutely inside and outside yeah. to share those adventure stories together yeah one of the things
0: that you talk about is how sometimes the hardest part is the first step and that one of the stories that you shared is about your son Caleb and about how he was eight years old and wanted to start mowing the lawn So, and then it turned into a whole enterprise. I
1: got a bank account. So can you tell us a little bit about that story? Absolutely. Um, We lived right in the middle of town, right off the main street. And he wanted to mow the corner lot that needed mowing. It really did need mowing. And we said, hey, you've got to first learn to mow our yard before. And we had not even considered letting him at eight years old mow the yard. But he proved that he was able to do that. And he was still small enough, though, that I had to go. I wouldn't let him go down to the corner by himself and mow Mm -hmm. without being supervised and making sure that he was safe. So I took my lawn chair and my magazine and sat down on the corner and watched him mow that yard. Now, there are several things as a mom that you have to contend with. And one is your own fear, you know, for their safety. And two, what other people are going to say about you, because we did a lot of things that other people may have disapproved of or misunderstood because we allowed them to take risk. And, you know, like with that, I remember thinking people are going to drive by here and think that rich doctor's wife sitting on the corner, slave laboring her child, making him mow that yard. And that wasn't true at all. You know, I wasn't making him do anything. I was allowing him the privilege Mm. to grow into his young manhood, and it still needed my supervision, and it was more important for me to do what was right for my child than to what somebody else may have thought about or misunderstood. People are going to talk. People are going to say things that they may not understand why you're allowing them to do some of the things you do. But your child's needs are more important than what somebody else may say about you. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me,
0: that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchapcom slash outside 120 and use code outside 120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside 120 at goodchop.com slash outside 120 for $120 off goodchapcom slash outside 120 code outside 120. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, protein-plus, and keto. factor meals.com slash outside 50 to
1: get 50% off. Mm, Wow. So by the time we moved, Caleb had then incorporated Emily, our daughter into the business and they opened an account at the bank and they, they had their own little checkbook. They called it Share enterprises, Caleb Hudson, Emily, and Rodney. And those are our four children and they, you know, I take them to the grocery store for some of the other things we had to do. And they, they had to buy their own product. We did some, we, we, partnered with the junior high basketball coach who wanted some new uniforms and we made Rice Krispie Treats. And all four children were involved in that. And we did that for a season of about a month, that three nights a week, we made Rice Krispie Treats. But they did this mowing service. And by the time he was 12, when we moved, he had 10 yards 10 or 13, I don't remember. I mean, you know, he had a full lawn service in the summer, all within walking distance of our house. And he would take his mower and push it down the road and go mow. And we let them choose what they bought. And the first thing they bought was a trampoline. And even that, a lot of families think trampolines are too dangerous for their children. And they bought a fish tank and other things with their money that was their money that they saved and bought. And that was, that was an adventure. They That was what something that they took ownership of. Entrepreneurship
0: certainly is an adventure. And I would imagine that by the time he was 12, and he had 10 or 13 lawns to mow, that you were not following behind and sitting and watching.
1: Never. No. Yeah. No, no. They grow into independence quickly. If they can prove to you that they are safe and doing what they're doing, then you allow them, just like putting on their clothes. You don't watch them put on their clothes anymore. Once you know they can do it right, they just do it. And that's that's how it is. When you first start cooking with a child, you cook right there with them. And later you say, you need to go in there and prepare lunch. You know? (laughs) Yes, and then we grow in
0: our ability to let them go because, like I said earlier, it says in the book that this is part of our job. Parenting is a process of eliminating your child's need for you and a sobering sentence, but a true one. One day when your children are grown, you will be gone. And you talk about, and I know Roger talks about that in the book, that at some point then your parents are gone and you wish that you could call and you wish that you Mm -hmm. could tell them what's going on, but you
1: can't. And even if you're not physically dead... You're not with them. They are somewhere else. And so I remember that Emily recently called me when she was getting ready to cut into that python and she walked through where she had the pieces laid. And I said, Emily, you can do this. You can do this. You know, you can. And she said, okay, I just needed to say that. And then she started cutting. Yeah. And, you know, and then it's in their spirit. I mean, I think
0: that's part of it. And so... What an awesome thing to help foster in our kids, and we've never talked about this before on this podcast, is how to foster an adventurous spirit, both for them and for us, and that there are just so many benefits of it for their long-term growth and for our own and for us learning how to let go in small stages. And what a great way that it happens. The children go slowly. And so we have this process of letting them do that as they get a little bigger and a little more independent. And all the while we are letting go of the reins
1: a little bit. With Kayla, my oldest, I remember one time, it's not all just outdoors, although I, we did a lot outdoors, but I, re- I remember thinking of an adventurous spirit that doing things that are hard for them or that they may not understand why we do it. I remember the first time that he in the fourth grade was leading a 4-H meeting And I told him, I took him aside and I said, Caleb, you're not taking this seriously. This may be uncomfortable for you, but you can't be silly about it. You've got to do it. Mm -hmm. And he said, why? Why does it matter? I said, because one day you may be state 4-H president and you're going to need to know how to run a meeting. And I never thought about that again. But when he was state 4-H president, when he was 17, he looked at me in the face and he said, mom. Thanks for believing in me. And I said, what do you mean, baby? And he said, when you told me that one day I'd be state 4-H president. Uh And, you know, our words have power and authority. And the things they do when they're young, it matters. Did I really think that my children would bike across France and have the opportunities that they did? No. Mm -hmm. But they can do beyond what we can imagine. I wouldn't have never imagined that for myself that level of adventure, but they had the foundation, they had the skills, they knew how to work, they knew how to interface with people, and it's just applying the same skills that they'd been applying all their childhood. Mm -hmm. So, the things you do when they're little, it matters, it Mm -hmm. counts, it lays the foundation for the bigger things in their adulthood.
0: Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you talk about that it does too, is that it allows for opportunity for natural consequences. And I think that's a thing that we would miss in a screen-based world. If you play a video game, and I haven't played video games much in my adulthood and even in my childhood, but we play video games some. So you play Super Mario Brothers. Well, when you hop off of the thing and you fall down the tube or whatever, you, you know, you get another life. And so video games are not a great place to learn about natural consequences. But this is something that you talk about, that when we do hands-on things, we try something new, that we get feedback from our environment. So can you talk a little
1: bit about that? Let's let's use an example like a merry-go-round. Uh, an old fashioned where it goes round and around and you have to push it and hold on to something and move. You know, those things are dangerous. I'm surprised they're still around. But in some of the parks, you can still find a real merry-go-round. And they have to, they have to gauge their judgment of w- when they're the one that's holding on and pushing and going round and round with it. And, you know, sometimes they may fall and scrape their knee. That's a natural consequence of not getting their timing right. And so learning to jump on after you've been the one pushing to make it go around, there's consequences and they they get better at it. And, uh, you know, some simple things like that, that letting them fail when the risks are low yeah. and letting them do things that there are risk, but it's calculated. And, um, you you know, I think that those things are very important to letting them do things that involve real risk. And even at the cost of failing, that what does it matter if they fail? Well, they take that feedback. They take the Mm -hmm. feedback that they get in their body and they adjust for the next time. And they learn to do it correctly. Like, oh, I need to jump faster next time or whatever it is. But yeah, they do. They learn how to do it because of the difficulty, just like jumping rope and learning to jump in while somebody's, tossing, you can, it can whip your leg and hurt, you know, Mm -hmm. but you get better at it. If you keep trying, whatever Mm -hmm. you continue trying, you get better because you evaluate, oh, that didn't work. I need to make this change. And then you're able to do it without having the pain. Pain is a great teacher. It's a great teacher. Yeah. And you just adjust and you
0: have to deal. Actually, we talk about the micro adventures. Here's a story. So micro adventures is written by Alistair Humphreys. And he's been on our podcast several times. Well, Uh I used to call him Alistair, because that's what it looks like to me. Alistair, he never corrected. (laughs) I don't know. So I was talking to someone else about his books, because they read his kids books with their kids. And she says Alistair Humphreys, And I said, no, it's it's Alistair. It says like stare right there. And so then she said, no, no, I, I really think it's Alistair. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I went to school with someone named Alistair. So then I looked it up <laughs> on Google. And how do you pronounce it? And click, of course, I've been pronouncing it wrong the entire time. How humiliating. He's a National <laughs> Geographic Adventure of the Year. And so I've corrected. But we have to learn, I think, how to take feedback from our environment and fix and change course and deal with the embarrassment that sometimes comes. Sometimes there isn't any embarrassment, but sometimes there is, and you have to deal with that. And then you move forward into larger and larger things. And really, you learn that this is something that happens throughout your life. If ever you're trying something new, you're taking feedback and you're having to learn. And so What great advice and inspiration to lay these foundations when our kids are young, because as we've talked about, there are so many beneficial
1: outcomes to letting them be adventurous. You know, learning to do something, you're going to do it poorly to start with. No one's going to start off as an expert. You know, when you're first riding a bike and you're learning to turn that curve, it's going to be pretty shaky and it's going to look crazy. And you may fall, you know, you will fall. There will be some amount of falling involved in learning to do something new. And, you know, it doesn't have to be done perfectly when you first start, whether it's you know, learning to skate, riding the bike, learning to ski, or anything like that, they're just going to be falls involved. And it's worth learning to gain, it's worth the falls and the pain involved to gain the skill and the exhilaration and the fun and the positive things that come of it, you know, Mm -hmm. like learning a new piece on the piano, it can be embarrassing, you know, and you're going to have mistakes, and yet you've got to keep learning because the joy of learning to play it well is very freeing and life-giving. And so learning skills is worth falling. Well, and then they learn what expertise feels
0: like. They learn what a job well done feels like. And again, I think in this day and age, it's possible to go through an entire childhood and to not really know and to not know how beautiful is to set your screen aside and to learn something new and to struggle with something and kids they learn for mastery and this is one of the things that I talk about with 1000 hours outside is that they learn a skill and even just the ones when they're really little they learn a skill that may go on to something harder. This is their natural inclination. So if we don't stifle that then they have all these opportunities as they grow to continue to learn how to be an expert in something and then to move on and to try something new. There's so many different things that
1: you can learn about. And you don't ever know where a child's going to go with something. When ours got into skateboarding, uh, our third child, we did skateboarding instead of horses and instead of baseball. And it wasn't safe. There was nothing safe about it, but it was exhilarating to our 13-year-old And then he wanted to do, you know, he wanted ramps. And so there were no ramps available in our area. So we took him to a drafting guy in our area. He wasn't old enough to take it at the community college. And so he agreed to take him on as a personal student. And he taught him drafting to get the angle of the ramp correct. And so he... You know, and so then he had to set up an account at the local hardware store so that he could buy the wood that he needed and the screws and the tools that he needed to build these ramps. And before long, he was sponsoring, you know, tournaments with rods ramps. He had his own business and he wanted people wanted to buy his ramps. So we had to develop a a separate LLC because some kid could get hurt and then they'd come after us and And, you know, with Dr. Smith in the line. And so we had to separate his risk from our risk and the emotional risk involved that I thought there's drug addiction, there's all these possible directions that this could go. But thankfully, none of that happened. Instead, our son learned to run a business as well as to skate. And I thought he's going to be a 30-year-old bum that's skating, you know, out there And that didn't happen. You know, he skated through college and then he went on and and it was a phase. But learning to take that child's interest and what they wanted to do is just an important thing. And to give them the best tools to do what they want to do. You know, you may have one that wants to mountain bike and you don't like mountain biking. But allowing them to do something, that's a calculated risk that's reasonable, or whether it's, you know, whether they want to snowboard and do jumps or something, that as our kids get older and they specialize in their desired risk adventure, that we as moms have to let them take some risk. And uh, i certainly felt that with my skateboarder. And It's an adventure that we have to be willing to assist them in taking their adventure when it becomes their adventure and not ours. I would never have chosen skateboarding because you talk about outside my comfort zone, watching him jump and do those things. I felt like that was an unnecessary risk, but it was necessary for his growth that what he chose to do, he wanted to do that. And... Now he makes a living doing cold calls. It's an adventure for him, every new conversation. And most people are terrified to do that. Wow. And so all those risks that he took as a skateboarder help build in a resiliency in him that makes him very successful in his sales position. Go figure, you know. So you don't know what God's accomplishing in your child's heart and what he's preparing him for for. So even when they choose to do something that the whole family doesn't do, it was just that one child that did that. And yet it was a tremendous thing for him. Mm -hmm.
0: I think you've done a great job at naming your fears that I think we all feel that maybe don't say out loud, they just are sort of in us, but that you worked through them and you did it anyway. And what a thing that if you have one child or your family's doing horses, and you have one child that's doing baseball, and then and another child comes along and wants to do something completely different, that's a sacrifice to have to tr- to is. try and figure out how to sh- to give them the resources that they need. When look, we're used to baseball. We're used to right. horses. We already right. have the structure set up. We don't have any ramps. <laughs> you know, we don't We don't have any of the things that we need for this activity that you're interested in. But What we can see through your story is that you took the phases that they were drawn to in these different phases of life. Maybe it's four years, maybe it's six years, maybe it's just one year. They have this phase and you use that interest, you use that phase to layer for them these foundational skills that now they're using in adulthood in all sorts of different ways. And so I -hmm. think that really helps us to look at our lives and to look at our children to look at these things as opportunities as opposed to burdens and to know that they can really make a difference. So Jan, this has just been such an awesome conversation, obviously on top of many conversations that you and I have had personally. We would just sure love to meet you if you're listening. If you live anywhere near Hammond, Louisiana, we would love to meet you. Both Jan and I and our some of our families will be there. And it's gonna be a great conference on April 22nd, 2023. It runs from 8.30 to 4 p.m. right in Ponchatoula, and I'll be speaking there. There'll be all sorts of special things that people can do. The children's program and the teen program look fantastic, Jan art projects, science lab, swing dancing, minute to win it games, music and theater. I mean, this is outdoor games. This is going to be a fantastic time Mm -hmm. for a day to come and to be refreshed, to be inspired, to meet new people, homeschooling and parenting, 830 to 4. And people can register for that at homeschoollouisiana.org. And I'll make sure I put the link so people can click on that. But... Like I said before, these are selling out. I think parents need a little bit of refreshment. They need that pat on the back, I think. They need a little bit of direction. And so these are selling out. But we're this last-minute society, so don't miss out on your tickets. If you register by April 7th, it's cheaper. There's an early bird um, registration, so you could do that today so that you hit that early bird and grandparents can come
1: you know it's a lot of trouble to to pack up and to drive somewhere to commit the day but you know when you're sitting there listening it's a different kind of focus when you really get quiet and still and focused on something then it's it's worth the effort because then you receive so much more when you get quiet and still, because I know that when I listen to every podcast that you have, Jenny, but I'm usually mowing the yard or washing the dishes or digging in the flower bed or something like that. And when you sit and really listen, you just receive more. And so it's worth the effort to come. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. So people can register for that. And then if you want to hang out at the swamp tour, That is the day before. That's fun. Yeah.
1: It's fun. We're going
0: to do that. That's going to give us some stories to tell. And so if people want to sign up, once again, it's homeschoollouisiana.org. I will be there. Jan and Roger Smith will be there and some different vendors and lots of people from your area. So come and be encouraged. Can't wait to meet you. And so Jan, you know how this ends. It ends with a favorite memory of yours from your childhood that was outside.
1: There was a big tree that um, was kind of at the back of the pasture. So I felt like I was at the end of the world, you know, and I like to go to that tree and I would use the sticks that had fallen and I would out make the outline of my house. And I would pretend that I had company coming or that I was putting my children to bed and that sort of thing. So I would like to go to my house under that tree that was simply a stick outline but that's one of my favorite memories was playing under that tree wow and you still do that today
0: you entertain and you have company and you're so hospitable oh jan that is so sweet oh we never know what these little moments of play during childhood can be preparing our kids for. This has been such a delight. It is a delight to know you, to be friends with you and Roger. And we're so excited about bringing our family to Louisiana. Thank you for being with us, Jan.
1: We can't wait to welcome you into our home. Yes, thank you.